0: Welcome to Bedtime Stories. I'm Lori Mack. Tonight, we are enjoying Sleeping Beauty from the book Mother's Nursery Tales compiled by Catherine Pyle. There was once a king and queen who had no children, though they had been married for many years. At last, however, a little daughter was born to them, and this was a matter of great rejoicing through all the kingdom. When the time came for the little princess to be christened, a grand feast was prepared, and six powerful fairies were asked to stand as her godmothers. Unfortunately, the queen forgot to invite the seventh fairy, who was the most powerful of them all, and was also very wicked and malicious. On the day of the christening, the six good fairies came early, in chariots drawn by butterflies, or by doves, or wrens, or other birds. They were made welcome by the king and queen, and after some talk, They were led to the hall where the feast had been set out. Everything there was magnificent. There were delicious fruits and meats and pastries and game and everything that could be thought of. The dishes were all of gold, and for each fairy there was a goblet cut from a single precious stone. One was a diamond, one a sapphire, one a ruby, one an emerald, one an amethyst, and one a topaz fairies were delighted with the beauty of everything. Even in their own fairy palaces they had no such goblets as those the king had had made for them. They were just about to take their places at the table when a great noise was heard outside on the terrace. The queen looked from the window and almost fainted at the sight she saw. The bad fairy had arrived. She had come uninvited, and the queen guessed that it was for no good that she came. Her chariot was of black iron and was drawn by four dragons with flaming eyes and brass scales. The fairy sprang from her chariot in haste and came tapping into the hall with her staff in her hand. How is this? How is this? she cried to the queen. Here all my sisters have been invited to come and bring their gifts to the princess and I alone have been forgotten. The queen did not know what to answer. She was frightened. However, she tried to hide her fear, and made the seventh fairy as welcome as the others. A place was set for her at the king's right hand, and he and the queen tried to pretend that they had expected her to come. But for her there was no precious goblet, and when she saw the ones that had been given to the six other fairies, her face grew green with envy, and her eyes flashed fire. She ate and drank, but she never said a word. After the feast, the little princess was brought into the room, and she smiled so sweetly and looked so innocent that only a wicked heart could have planned evil against her. The first fairy took the child in her arms and said, My gift to the princess shall be that of contentment, for contentment is better than gold. Yet gold is good, said the second fairy, and I will give her the gift of wealth. Health shall be hers, said the third, for wealth is of little use without it. And I, said the fourth, will gift her with beauty to win all hearts. And wit to charm all ears, said the fifth, this will be my gift to her. The sixth fairy hesitated, and in that moment the wicked one stepped forward. While the others had spoken, she had been swelling with spite like a toad. And I say cried she, that in her seventeenth year she shall prick her finger on a spindle and fall dead. When the queen heard this, she shrieked aloud, and the king grew as pale as death. But the sixth fairy stepped forward. Wait a bit, said she, I have not spoken yet. I cannot undo what our sister has done, but I say that the princess shall not really die. She shall fall into a deep sleep that shall last a hundred years, and all in the castle shall sleep with her. At the end of that time she shall be awakened by a kiss. When the wicked fairy heard this, she was filled with rage, but she had already spoken, and she could do no more. She rushed out of the castle and jumped into her chariot, and the dragons carried her away, and where she went no one either knew nor cared. The other fairies also went away, and they were sad because of what was to happen to the princess. But at once the king gave orders that every spinning wheel and spindle in the land should be destroyed, and when this was done, he felt quite happy again. For if all the spindles were gone, the princess could not prick her finger with one, and if she did not prick her finger, she would not fall into the enchanted sleep. So the king and the queen were at peace, and all went well in the castle for seventeen years. All that the fairies had promised to the princess had come true. She was so beautiful that she was the wonder of all who saw her, and so witty and gentle-hearted that everyone loved her. Beside this, she had health, wealth, and contentment, and was smiling and joyous from morn till night. One day, the king and queen went away on a journey, and the princess took it into her head to mount to a high tower where she had never been before, and to watch for their return from there. She found the stairs that led to the tower and then she mounted them up and up and up until she was high above the roofs of the castle. At last she reached the very top of the tower and there was an iron door with a rusty key in it. The princess turned the key and the door swung open. And Beyond she saw a room with an old old wrinkled woman who sat there at a spinning wheel. The princess had never seen a spinning wheel before and it seemed a curious thing to her. She went in and stood close to the old woman so as to see it better. "'What is it that you're doing?' she asked. "'I am spinning,' answered the old woman. "'And what is that little thing that flies around so fast?' "'That is a spindle.' "'It is a curious thing,' said the princess, and she reached out her hand to touch it. Then the point of the spindle pricked her finger, and at once the princess sighed, and her eyes closed, and she sank back on a couch in a deep sleep. Immediately, a silence fell also upon all in the castle. The king and queen had just returned from their journey. They had alighted from their horses and had entered the castle, and just then, sleep fell upon them. The courtiers who followed them also fell asleep. The dogs and horses in the courtyard slept, and the pigeons on the eaves, The boy who turned the spit in the kitchen slept and the cook did not scold him, for she too was asleep. The meat did not burn, for the fire was sleeping. Even the flies in the castle and the bees among the flowers hung motionless. All slept. Then all about the castle sprang up an enchanted forest that shut it in like a wall. The forest grew so dark and high that at last not even the topmost tower of the castle could be seen. But though the princess slept, she was not forgotten. Many brave princes and heroes came and tried to cut their way through the forest to rescue her, but the boughs and branches were as hard as iron, and moreover, as fast as they were cut away, they grew again. Also, they were twisted so closely together that no one could creep between them. Then, as years passed by, the brave heroes who had sought the princess grew old and had children of their own these two grew to be men and married and at last the princess was forgotten by all or was remembered only as an old tale at last a hundred years had slipped by and then a young and handsome prince came by that way he had been hunting and he had ridden so fast and eagerly that he had left his huntsman far behind now he was hot and weary and seeing a hut he stopped and asked for a drink of water the man who lived in the hut was very old he brought the water the prince had asked for, and after the prince had drank, he sat a while and looked about him. What is that darkness, like a cloud, I see over yonder, he asked. I cannot tell you for sure, said the old man, for it is a long distance away and I have never gone to sea, but my grandfather told me once that it was an enchanted forest. He said there was a castle hidden deep in the midst of it, and in that castle lay a princess asleep. That princess, so he said, was the most beautiful princess in all the world, but a spell had been laid upon her, and she was to sleep a hundred years. At the end of that time, a prince was to come and waken her with a kiss. And how long has she slept now? asked the prince, and his heart beat in his breast like a bird. Well, that I cannot say, answered the old man, but a long, long time. My grandfather was an old man when he told me, and he could not remember her. The prince thanked the old man for what he had told him, and then he rode away toward the enchanted forest, and he could not go fast enough. He was in such a haste. When he was at a distance from the forest, it looked like a dark cloud, but as he came nearer, it began to grow rosy. All the boughs and briars had began to bud, and by the time he was close to them, they were in full flower, and when he reached the edge of the forest, the branches divided, leaving an open path before him. Along this path the prince rode, and before long he came to the palace. He entered the courtyard and looked about him wondering. The dogs lay sleeping in the sunshine and never wakened at his coming. The horses stood like statues. The guards slept leaning on their arms. The prince dismounted and went on into the palace. On he went through one room after another, and no one woke to stop nor stay him. At last he came to the stairway that led to the tower, and he went up to it, up and up, as the princess had done before him. He reached the tower room, and then he stopped and stood amazed. There, on the couch, lay a maiden more beautiful than he had ever dreamed of. He could scarcely believe there was such beauty in the world. He looked and looked, and then he stooped and kissed her. At once, on the moment, All through the castle sounded the hum of waking life. The king and queen, down in the throne room, stirred and rubbed their eyes. The guards started from their sleep. The horses stamped. The dogs sprang up barking. The meat in the kitchen began to burn, and the cook boxed the boy's ears. The courtiers smiled and bowed and simpered. Up in the tower, the princess opened her eyes, and as soon as she saw the prince, she loved him. He took her hand and raised her from the couch. Will you be my own dear bride? said he, and the princess answered yes. And so they were married with great rejoicings, and the six fairies came to the wedding and brought with them gifts more beautiful than ever were seen before. As for the seventh fairy, if she did not burst with spite, she may be living still. But the prince and the princess lived happily ever after. Beauty and the Beast There was once a merchant who had three daughters. The two older ones were handsome enough, but the third was a beauty, and no mistake. Her eyes were as blue as the sky, her hair was as black as ebony, and her cheeks were like roses. The merchant loved his two older daughters dearly, but this beauty was the darling of his heart. Things went along pleasantly for a long time, and the merchant was rich and prosperous, but then things began to go wrong with him one after another of his ships was lost at sea, and a great part of his fortune with them. One day the merchant called his daughters to him and said, My children, I find it will be necessary for me to go on a long journey. I am no longer a rich man, but I wish to bring home a gift to each of you, so tell me what you would like to have. The two older daughters began to think of all the things they wanted, and each was afraid the other would get something finer than she did. At last the eldest spoke. Dear father, she said, I wish you would bring me a velvet robe embroidered with gold and shoes to match and a fan to wave in my hand. And I, said the second, would like a necklace of pearls and pearls for my hair and a fine bracelet. The merchant was troubled that his daughters should ask for such costly things, but he did not like to refuse them. And you, beauty, he said, turning to his youngest daughter, what will you have? Dear father, she said, you have given me so much that I have nothing left to wish for, but if you bring me anything at all, let it be a rose. When her older sisters heard this, they were angry. They thought that Beauty had asked only for a rose so that she might shame them before their father and make him think that she was more unselfish than they were. But Beauty had had no such thought as that. The merchant smiled at his youngest daughter and kissed her thrice, but his older daughters he had kissed only once. Then he mounted his horse and rode away. He journeyed on for several days, and at last he reached the city he was bound for. Here he found he had lost even more of his fortune than he thought. He was now a poor man. Still, he managed to buy the gifts his two older daughters had asked for, and then with a sad heart, he set out for home. He had not journeyed far, however, when he was overtaken by a storm and lost himself in a deep forest. He rode this way and that, trying to get his way out, And then suddenly he came to an open place, and there he saw before him a magnificent castle. The merchant was amazed. He had never heard of such a castle in that forest. He rode up to the door and knocked, hoping to find shelter for the night. Scarcely had he knocked when the great door swung open before him. He entered and looked about. No one was there. Everything was silent. Wondering, he went on into one room after another. Everything was very magnificent and well-arranged, but nowhere was a soul to be seen. At last he came to a room where a supper was set out. The plates were all of gold, and the fruits and meats were of the rarest and most delicious kinds. He ate heartily and then arose and went in search of a place to sleep. This he soon found. A bed had been made ready in a large chamber, and here he undressed, and lying down he slept until morning without being disturbed. When he woke, he found his own travel-stained clothes had been taken away and in their place a handsome suit had been laid out and other necessary things all of the richest kind. There was also a bag filled with gold pieces. Wondering still more, the merchant arose and dressed and went out into the gardens to look about him. Here everything was more beautiful than any garden he had ever seen before. There were winding paths and fountains and fruit trees and flowering plants. Beside one of the fountains was a rose-bush covered with roses. The sight of these roses reminded the merchant of Beauty's wish, and he thought it would be no harm to break one off to carry to her. He chose the largest and finest rose. Scarcely had he plucked it, however, when the air was filled with the sound of thunder. The ground rocked under his feet, and a terrible-looking beast appeared before him. "'Miserable man!' cried the beast. "'What have you done?' All the best in the castle was offered to you. Why have you broken my rosebush that is dearer to me than anything in the world? Now for this, you must surely die. The merchant was terrified. Oh, dear good beast, do not kill me, he cried. I meant no harm. Only let me go and I will never trouble you again. No, no, answered the beast. You shall not escape so easily. You have broken my rosebush and you must suffer for it. Still, the merchant begged and entreated to be spared, and at last the beast had pity on him. If I spare your life, said he, what will you give me in return for it? Alas, said the merchant, what can I give you? I have lost all my fortune, and now I am a poor man. I have nothing left in the world but my three daughters. Give me one of your daughters for a wife, and I will be satisfied, said the beast. The merchant was horrified at the thought of such a thing. He would have refused, but he feared that if he did so, the beast would tear him to pieces at once. You may have three months in which to think it over, said the beast, but you must promise me that in the end of that time you will return here and either bring me one of your daughters or come prepared to die. The merchant was obliged to promise this. He could not help himself. As soon as he had promised, the beast disappeared and the man was free to go, and this he was not slow to do. He rode on toward his home, and his heart was heavy within him. He did not see how he could possibly give one of his daughters to be the bride of a hideous beast, and yet he did not wish to die. His daughters met him with joy. The two older sisters were delighted when they saw the beautiful gifts he had brought them. Only Beauty noticed his sad and downcast looks. Dear father, she said, why are you troubled? Has something unfortunate happened to you? At first, her father would not tell her. But she urged and entreated him to tell her until finally he could keep silence no longer. He told his daughters all about the castle and his adventure there and of the beast, and of how unless one of them would consent to marry the beast, he would have to lose his life. When the older daughters heard this, they were ready to faint. Not even to save their father's life would they consent to marry such a creature. Dear father, said Beauty, you shall not die. I will be the beast's bride. Yes, yes, cried the sisters, this is only right. If Beauty had not asked for the rose, this misfortune would not have happened. To this, the merchant would not at first agree. Beauty was the dearest to him of all his daughters. He had hoped that if any of them was to marry the beast, it might be one of the older sisters. But they would not hear of this, and when, at the end of three months, the merchant sent out to return to the castle, he took Beauty with him. They rode along and rode along and after a while they came to the forest and then it did not take the merchant long to find the castle. He knocked at the door and it opened as before and he and Beauty went in through one room after another and everything was so magnificent that she could not but admire it. At last they came to the supper room and here a delicious feast was set for them. They sat down and ate while soft music sounded around them. Beauty began to think the master of all this could not be a terrible creature after all. But scarcely had they finished their supper before the beast appeared before them. And when Beauty saw him, she began to shake and tremble, for he was even more dreadful-looking than her father had said. "'Do not fear me, Beauty,' he said in a gentle voice. "'I will do you no harm. Your father has brought you here, and it is true that here you must stay. But you need not marry me unless you are quite willing to.' I do not wish to marry you, Beast, and you must know that, said Beauty, but I fear that if I do not, you may harm my father. No, Beauty, I will not harm him. He may go in peace, and perhaps after you have been here a while, you may learn to like me enough to marry me. Beauty did not believe this, but the Beast spoke so gently that she no longer feared him, and when the time came for her father to go, she bade him good-bye, and did not grieve him by weeping. After that, Beauty lived there in the beast's castle and was well content. Every day she went out into the gardens, and the beast came and played with her for a while, and she grew very fond of him. Every day before he left her, he said, Beauty, are you willing to marry me? But always Beauty answered, No, dear beast, I do not wish to marry you. Then the beast would sigh heavily and go away. One day, Beauty was sitting before a large mirror in her room, and she was sad because she had not seen her father in so long. I wish, said she, that I could see what my father is doing at this very moment. And as she said this, she raised her eyes to the mirror. And what was her surprise to see in the reflection of a room quite different than the one she was in? It was a room in her own home that she saw reflected there. She saw in it the images of her father and sisters. She could see them smile and move, and she could tell exactly what they were doing. She found she could watch them in the mirror for as long as she pleased, and whenever she pleased. After this, Beauty often came to sit before the mirror, and she had only to wish it, and she could see her home, and all that was going on there. But one day, when she sat down before the glass, she saw that her father was ill. He lay upon his bed so pale and weak that Beauty was terrified. She jumped up and ran out into the garden, calling for the beast. At once he appeared before her. What is it? asked the beast anxiously. What has frightened you, beauty? Alas, she cried, my father is ill. Oh, dear kind beast, let me go to him, I pray, and I will love you forever after. The beast looked very grave. Very well, beauty, he said. I will let you go, for I can refuse you nothing. But promise me you will return at the end of a week, for if you do not, some great misfortune will happen to me. Beauty was very willing to promise this. The beast then gave her a ring set with a large ruby. When you go to bed tonight, he said, turn the ruby in toward the palm of your hand and wish you were in your father's house and in the morning you will find you are there. When you're ready to return, do the same thing and you will find yourself back in the castle again. And do not forget that by the end of a week to an hour you must return or you will bring suffering upon me. Beauty did as the beast told her. And that night when she lay down, she turned the ruby of the ring in toward the palm of her hand and wished she were in her father's house. And what was her joy when she awakened the next morning to find herself in her own bed at home? She arose and ran to her father's room, and the merchant was so delighted to see her that from that hour he began to get better. And in a few days he was as well as ever again. Beauty's sisters asked her a great many questions about the castle where she lived, and when they heard how fine it was and how happy she was there, they were filled with envy. Beauty always gets the best of everything, they said to each other. She's younger than either of us, and see how finely she lives, much better than we do. Then they planned together as to how they could keep Beauty from going back to the castle at the end of the week. If we can only make her break her promise to the Beast, they said, He might be so angry with her that he would send her away and take one of us to live at his castle instead. The day before Beauty was to return to the beast, they put a sleeping powder in the goblet that she drank from. As soon as Beauty had swallowed the powder, she became very sleepy. Her eyelids weighed like lead, and presently she fell into a deep slumber, and she did not awaken for two days and nights. At the end of that time, Beauty had a dream, and in her dream she walked into the castle gardens. She came to the rose bush beside the fountain, and there lay the poor beast, stretched out on the ground, and he was almost dead. He opened his eyes and looked at her sadly. Oh, Beauty, Beauty, he said, why did you break your promise to return at the end of a week? See what suffering you have brought upon me. Beauty awoke, sobbing bitterly. Alas, alas, she cried, I must go at once. I feel some harm has come to the beast, and that it was my fault, though how I do not know. For she did not know she had been asleep for two days and nights. She turned the ruby ring with the ruby toward the palm of her hand and wished herself back in the castle, and then lay down and went to sleep. When she awoke, she was again in the castle, and it was early morning. She ran out into the garden and straight to the rose bush, and there, as in her dream, she saw the beast stretched out on the ground, and he seemed to be without life or breath. Beauty threw herself down on the ground, took his head in her lap, and her tears ran down and fell upon him, and it seemed to her she did not even love her father as dearly as she loved the beast. Oh, beast, dear, dear beast, she cried, can you not hear me? Are you quite, quite dead? Then... "'The beast opened his eyes and looked at her. "'Oh, Beauty,' he said, "'I thought you had deserted me. "'Do you not yet love me enough to marry me? "'Oh, I do, I do love you enough, "'and gladly I will be your bride,' cried Beauty. "'No sooner had she said this "'than the rough, furry hide of the beast fell apart, "'and a handsome young prince, "'all dressed in white satin and silver, "'stood before her. "'Beauty looked at him, wondering, "'Yes, you shall indeed be my own dear bride,' "'cried the prince,' for you and you alone have broken the enchantment that held me. Then the prince, a beast no longer, told Beauty that a wicked fairy had changed him into the shape of a beast, and not until a fair young maiden would love him enough to be his bride would the enchantment be broken. But Beauty had loved him for his kindness and goodness in spite of his ugly form, and now never again could the wicked fairy have any power over him. And now through all the castle was heard a great sound of life, and of voices, and of running to and fro, for the same enchantment that had changed the prince to a beast had made all his people invisible, and now they too were freed from the spell. Then how happy Beauty was! If she had loved the beast, she had loved the handsome young prince a thousand times better. A grand wedding feast was prepared, and her father and sisters were sent for Her father was given the place of honor, but it was quite different with her sisters. Because of their hard hearts, they were changed into two statues, and they stood one on either side of the doorway. But Beauty was too gentle to bear them any ill will. After she was married, she often used to go and stand beside the statues and talk to them, and her tears fell upon them, so that after a while their hard hearts grew soft, and the stone melted again back to flesh. Then they were all very happy together. The two sisters were married to two noblemen of the court. As for Beauty and the Prince, nothing could equal their love for each other, and they lived together happy forever after, and no further harm ever came to them. The End That's all for tonight. Good night.